Chapter 15 of Harry D. Or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Kristen Hand. Harry D. Or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 15 in which this story is within a tittle of losing its chief characters and thus coming to an abrupt end. The three of us turned our heads and saw a sight which chilled our blood. The aurora, which after skirting the eastern and southern shore had taken its course northward along the western bank, was now with full sail set bearing the brunt of raging water and roaring wind. Yielding to the blast, she had bowed down, down, till her sails seemed to be lapped by the rising waters. Clinging to a mast with one hand, the boy was vainly endeavoring with the other to take in sail, while the girl, her hair streaming in the wind, was stretching toward us one little hand in pitiful entreaty. We scarce had time to take in this awful picture when a fresh veil of darkness seemed to drop down from sky to earth, and the storm burst upon us with full fury. "'To your oars!' shouted Tom. "'We've got to save them. Pull, boys, with all your might!' Very fortunately for us, none of us was a novice in the art of managing a boat. Every day during the past few weeks, we had practiced at pulling together, and so, compressing our lips, we held an even stroke against wind and wave. Keep her toward the yacht, Frank, continued Tom. Don't let her turn one inch either way. All right, Tom, I'm not afraid. You can rely on me, answered our steersman, his eyes fixed upon the aurora. Pull, boys, pull hard. Oh, they're going to capsize. Don't turn around, whispered Tom to Percy and myself. We must depend on Frank for our course. Pull steadily. God help them, cried Frank, despite his excitement, keeping a firm hold on the tiller ropes. Their boat is capsized. As Frank spoke, there arose above the howling of the blast and the beating of the waters a piercing, heart-rending scream. The scream seemed to stop my heartbeats, and I noticed that Tom and Percy were beaded with sweat, the sweat of agony. Frank was sobbing. "'For God's sake, Frank,' cried Tom hoarsely, "'are the boy and girl in sight? "'The girl has gone under, and there the boy goes. "'Oh, hurry, hurry!' "'And Frank was on the point of jumping up. "'Don't move,' cried Tom. "'If you do, there's no chance of saving them. "'Quick, are they underwater yet?' "'The girl's up again. Poor girl. "'Ah, she caught hold of the yacht and is hanging on to it. "'There's the boy now. "'Good, he is clinging to it, too.' "'The three of us breathed a sigh of relief.' If you hurry up, cried Frank, we'll be able to save them. The yacht is drifting this way. But pull as we might, it was slow work. Still more disheartening was the gathering gloom. Shadows seemed to be literally rushing down upon us. Our every stroke was tallied by a deeper tinge of black, as though some genie of the air was scattering huge handfuls of darkness on our course. Don't be afraid, called Frank to us. I can see the boat quite plainly. I've good eyes and I'll keep that boat in sight till we get to it. As he spoke, there was a dazzling flash of lightning that broke zigzag across the heavens, followed by a loud clap of thunder. Don't forget to pray, exclaimed Tom. Then following a series of blinding flashes and rumbling detonations, which added to the fury of the wind and the lashing of the waves, impressed us, I am sure, with a sense of God's might and our own powerlessness. In the midst of it all, we bent sturdily to our oars in silence, each of us praying for help and guidance from above. Desperate as was the plight of the brother and sister, our condition was not without its dangers. Thus far it is true we had shipped but little water, 
but we knew not at what moment the hungry whitecaps would hurl themselves raging into our boat. We plainly saw, moreover, that should we succeed in reaching the yacht, any attempt at rescue would be fraught with peril. In consideration of all this, the four of us, I think, had a great deal to say to Almighty God. None, indeed, was overmastered by fright. What boy not an absolute coward could yield to fear under so cool and plucky a leader as Tom Playfair? Presence of mind never deserted him, and such was his influence over all, that in critical moments he infallibly became leader by common consent. An exclamation from Frank roused us from our commune with God. Listen, he exclaimed. Again the clear, piercing cry of the little child shivered through the air. The little girl is giving out, I think, said Frank, in answer to our questioning glances. Her hold has slipped. Ah, she's got it again. Keep on rowing. We'll be beside them in a minute. As Frank ceased speaking, there came a lull in the storm. In the western sky appeared an opening in the clouds through which streamed something of the twilight beauty, and the veil of darkness, routed by the western light, lifted as suddenly as it had fallen. The thunder grew fainter and fainter, the breeze died almost completely away, and nothing but the lashing waves gave evidence of the fierce elemental conflict so lately raging about us. During this lull we heard what, should we live into the centuries, none of us shall ever forget. That sweet, clear, delicate voice came throbbing over the waters in trembling melody. Jesus, Savior of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the angry waters roll and the tempest still is nigh. And there the tiny voice, which had paused between some of the notes as though the child had lost her breath, quivered into silence. Another voice was heard. Help! Help! Save us! It was the boy's. As if in rude answer to his call, the wind, which had changed a point northward, came howling through the trees and across the waters, and then our hearts were thrilled with pity as we heard the child cry, Jesus, dear Jesus, save us! Save us, dear Jesus! Pull, boys! screamed Frank. The girl has given out. She's lost her hold and is sinking. You're very near. A few strokes more. Percy, cried Tom, it all depends on you now. You've got to go it alone. Haul in your oar, Harry and Tom almost tore his shoes from his feet. There, cried Frank, she's come to the top. Tom had arisen and caught sight of the child some forty feet from our boat, just as her face disappeared. Keep the boat steady, and as Tom spoke, he plunged into the waters. He emerged in a few seconds, quite near the spot where the child had gone down. Behind you, behind you, Tom, rang out Percy's voice as the girl again came to the surface. Tom turned at once, and in the nick of time, the child was just sinking. He made for her with rapid stroke, failed of reaching her, and followed her down into the waters. In a moment he arose with the child supported on his left arm, and by divine providence within a few feet of our boat. "'Bring the stern round to Tom,' cried Percy. Obedient to the tiller, the boat turned broadside to the wind, shipping in the movement the crest of a large wave. Not without difficulty, Tom caught hold of the back support above the rudder blade, and assisted by Frank, lifted the half-drowned child into the boat.' We were now quite near the yacht. The boy, his cheeks blanched with terror, his eyes protruding from their sockets, was shouting to us inarticulately. Before Tom could succeed in climbing into our boat, the storm suddenly came down upon us with new force. The wind was blinding and sent the waves lashing against our frail boat. Panic-stricken, the boy, throwing out his arms towards us, plunged into the water and at once disappeared. I foresaw what would probably happen and immediately threw off my coat and shoes. I was a poor swimmer, 
but as Percy was needed at the oars and Frank at the tiller, I saw that if worst came to worst, it would be my duty to venture after my friend. No sooner had the strange boy thus madly tempted his own destruction than Tom, releasing his hold on the boat, made for the spot where he had gone under. What ensued when the stranger came to the surface is horrible to relate. Tom reached out, caught him by the arm, and was about to assist him to our boat, when with a wild cry the drowning boy threw his arms about his would-be rescuer in a death clasp. Tom struggled vainly to free himself. Both went down together. How long they were underwater it is impossible for me to estimate. Upon their disappearing I whispered Percy not to leave the oars till I had made an effort to assist Tom, and disposing myself to spring to their rescue watched eagerly for their coming to the surface. Oh, what a weary, long, long time it was while we prayed for their reappearance. At length, still clasped in the other's arms, Tom came to view. Even in the moment, and as I plunged into the water, my eyes took in a sight which stands out as vividly before my imagination now as it presented itself to me in the awful gloom of that storm-beaten twilight. The boy, in first grasping Tom, had clasped him from behind. The violence of that clasp was revealed now. Tom's face was deathly pale. He had managed to twist about somewhat in the grasp of the drowning boy so as to face him partially, and as he rose I perceived that he had freed his right hand. But, oh, the countenance of the stranger! All the hideousness of terror had invested it, all the mad rage of despair. There was nothing human in the expression. It was a hideous nightmare of God's image. All this I noticed in one glance as I threw myself from the boat. What happened while I was underwater was afterwards supplied me by Percy. As they came to the surface, Percy said, Tom, who had freed one hand, made an effort to free the other. With a wild, animal-like, muffled voice, the drowning lad caught at the free arm and would have held it, had not Tom jerked it from his grasp and without delay struck him thrice with all his force about the temple. With the third stroke, both again disappeared. When I came up, there was no sight of either. Wait, called Percy. Watch. Just then Tom emerged, paler than before, bearing in his arms a senseless form. Quick, catch hold, he gasped. I took the body from the panting hero and, striking out for our boat, which Percy had contrived to bring within a few feet of us, reached the stern in safety. Violent as the storm had grown during the last few minutes, it was just then, I think, that it reached its height. Just then, when the grave question of studying how to get three persons into a frail boat presented itself. Tom, swimming at my side, how feeble his stroke, seemed to be equally perplexed with me for some solution. If the boat founders, he labored forth gaspingly in my ear, all of you make for the yacht. Then, with painful effort, he said aloud, Percy and Frank, pull off your shoes. In a twinkling, Frank was in his stocking feet, but before Percy could lay aside his oars, a huge wave swept into the boat, which at once began to sink. I'll take care of the little girl, cried Percy. Look out for yourself, Frank. To the yacht, everyone. Fortunately, we had kept near the ill-fated sailboat. Fortunately for Tom, who was spent with his efforts in the double rescue. Fortunately for Percy, who, encumbered with his shoes, had the child in charge. Fortunately, in particular, for myself, who had the greatest difficulty, being a poor swimmer in sustaining the senseless form of the brother. Indeed, it would have gone hard with me had not Frank bravely come to my assistance. The two of us made but little progress, and we were fain to be content with holding the boy's face above the water till the yacht drifted upon us. In a trice, we had fastened him securely to the boat. Well, said Percy, when we were all clinging beside each other, thank God we're safe, and if we can only hold out, the wind will bring us to shore within an hour. 
I had now opportunity of observing Tom, and my heart sank at the sight. His polo shirt was in shreds, little else but the sleeves remaining upon him. His undershirt was torn just below the armpits, and there, standing out on each side upon his naked flesh, was the bleeding print of five fingernails. The poor boy's face was ghastly, his mouth was open, and he was panting from the terrible ordeal. Next to him was little Frank, who of all the party was the least spent. Beside Frank lay the strange boy tied to the lower part of the mast. Lastly, between myself and Frank was Percy, still holding the little girl. "'Give me the girl, Percy,' said Frank, "'while you take off your shoes.' The transfer was made, and Percy was soon prepared for more ventures in the water if need should arise. I had been watching Tom's face for some moments. How wan it was growing. Presently his eyes closed. "'Percy! Percy!' I cried. "'Look to Tom!' With a single stroke, Percy was beside him, and just as he was slipping away, caught him by the arm. "'Poor boy! He's fainted!' said Percy. "'Oh!' he continued in dismay, on seeing the cruel fingerprints on Tom's bosom. "'What sufferings he must have borne in saving that senseless boy!' I think this was the first time that I had ever heard Percy speak harshly of anyone. Tom very shortly opened his eyes and found himself pillowed on Percy's hand, with whose kindly blue eyes bent down in grief upon his pallid face. He smiled feebly. Never say die, he whispered. Where are we? Drifting right into shore, Tom. Patience, don't move. I can hold you without the least trouble. Well, whispered Tom feebly, if anything happens, you look out for yourself. Don't mind me. I'm not afraid to die. And be sure to save that little girl whatever happens. What was that prayer of hers? Oh, yes. Jesus, dear Jesus, save us, dear Jesus. Wasn't it beautiful? I guess that God intended us to be his instruments in hearing that prayer. Oh, I'm awful tired. The slow, labored tones in which Tom spoke brought tears to my eyes. Tired. Yes, he went on. It was the hardest, bitterest thing of my life, but I had to do it. I'd as soon have drowned. Sooner, in fact. But then both of us would have drowned. Oh, Percy, it seemed so cruel, yet I had to do it. What, Tom? Did you see his frightened face? his eyes starting with terror. Oh, what a look of agony came over his face when I got loose from him. Yet I had to do it. I had to draw my arm back and beat, beat, beat that face, which was piteous enough to move a heart of stone, till the boy was senseless. Oh, it was terrible. Tom closed his eyes and shuddered. Tom spoke again, but I shall not record his words as they were uttered. He was no longer master of himself, and in those moments of delirium he laid bare unconsciously some of the beautiful secrets that were between himself and his maker. His mind was wandering, but into what beautiful fields. We had loved Tom for his gay, happy ways, his abiding cheerfulness, his noble qualities, but now as we listened to him taken thus off his guard, we discovered that the life within was as saintly as the life without was noble. Again and again he spoke of his struggle in the water. How reverently we listened to these confessions of a noble soul. It brought vividly to our minds the frightful mental struggle that had gone hand in hand with that physical struggle for life. It unveiled to us in sharp outline Tom's indomitable willpower, his ability to grasp a situation and to employ the boldest means on the instant. What was that song she sang, Percy? He inquired, opening his eyes a few moments later. Jesus, Savior of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. That's what I say, said Tom wearily. Oh, if I could go there now. I'm so tired. What infinite pathos in his simple words. I'm so tired. Keep up your courage, dear Tom, said Percy. We're drifting on splendidly. 
The lake is getting calmer, and I think there's little danger. Percy, if anything happens, you'll pray for me, and you too, Frank, and you too, Harry. Oh, Tom, sobbed Percy, don't. I'll hold you till we drown together, if necessary. No, you won't, returned Tom, something of his old energy and strong voice returning. There's work for you. Now remember, you're not to drown on my account. And Percy, give my love to all the fellows. And if I've treated any of them wrong, say that I've asked their forgiveness. Pray for me. And Tom fainted again. Now followed a period of sadness akin to despair. The boy whom each of us had, I think, loved with a love deeper, stronger, tenderer than a brother's love, seemed to be dying in our sight. Dying exposed, unprotected. Dying surrounded by friends who could not stretch forth a hand to help him, yet dying as he had lived. How changed he was from the gay, happy, sunny lad he had been but a short time before. His dark eyes were curtained, we feared, forever. His hair had fallen over his face. Jet black hair that fitted so well over the nut-brown face of old, that looked so startling upon the ghastly pallor which had now usurped the hue of health. Little Frank broke into a cry of grief. Let me get near, he said. I'll hold him, Percy, and you see what you can do. We won't let him die. We won't. And Frank, with a few strokes, had put himself beside the two. Tom, Tom, he called, and placed his hand upon the unresponsive face. Percy had succeeded in pulling off his overshirt and tearing it into strips deftly, tenderly bandaged the bleeding breast. Now, he exclaimed, perhaps that will stop the flow of blood. His face is as cold as ice, said Frank. Yes, but I think the color is returning, answered Percy. And while the two made shift to rub Tom's face, we all fell into a silence that lasted until the real darkness of night had come down upon the scene. It was a half hour of awful suspense. What a relief it was to us when the little girl, now under my care, opened her eyes. Oh, where am I? she exclaimed. Just as safe as though you were on shore, I answered. Your brother is safe too. Frank and I tied him fast to the mast there. You needn't be afraid, ma'am, added Frank. Jesus heard your prayer. Suddenly there was a cry of joy from Percy. He's coming too, boys. His face is quite warm. I can't see well enough to be sure, but I think his color is returning. Is it the brave boy that jumped into the water after me? inquired the little maid. I was about to make answer when Percy held up his finger. Hello, little girl. This from Tom. His voice was stronger, more natural, and there was in it a slight touch of his merry self. Hello, sir, replied the girl. Howdy-do, little girl. Howdy-do, sir. What's your name, little girl? Rose Scarborough, sir. Much obliged, little girl. How's your brother? Gordon? I don't know, sir. Gordon is all right, Rose, I interposed. He's hurt a little bit, but he'll be able to talk and laugh before long. Are you fond of bathing, little girl? continued Tom. No, sir, not very. Well, try to get used to it anyhow, little girl. I say, Percy, I feel quite fresh again, though a while ago I thought I was going to die. I never felt so worn out in all my life. But now you needn't support me any longer. I can take care of myself. Suppose you help out, Gordon. These words gave us fresh heart. Percy turned his attention to Gordon. Overhead, the stars came out one by one, and the wind softened into a light breeze. Hello, cried Percy suddenly. Just look at the lights along the shore. We turned our eyes to the east. The fullness of the night had come on, and it was impossible to make out anything save a number of torches which were moving up and down the border of the lake, 
and suggested to our imaginations men running along shore in anxious search, and saddest of all weeping mothers. "'Oh, poor mamma! exclaimed Percy. "'How alarmed she must be!' "'And my mamma too!' added Rose. "'She told Gordon not to sail without having Papa or one of the hired men along to manage the yacht.' This afternoon, Gordon sent the hired man up to our house, and just as soon as he got out of sight, Gordon started off. He said he knew all about sailing a boat. He didn't do what he was told. Well, we can try to let them know we're alive, said Tom. Suppose we all shout. You must join in the chorus, too, little girl. You've an excellent scream for your age. What shall we say? I inquired. Well, we'd better reassure them. If we shout for help, they'll be frightened. Hip, hip, hurrah is the right thing. They'll think that everything is lovely and come out in a boat to meet us, just the same as though we were bawling for help. Do you hear, little girl? You're to shout hip, hip, hurrah just the same as though you were a little boy, which you aren't, you know. I understand, said Rose. Now, boys, ready, continued Tom. One, two, three. Hip, hip, hurrah! Again. Hip, hip, hurrah! We paused anxiously and glanced shoreward. Do you think they heard us? inquired Rose. I'm afraid not, little girl, and it's a shame, too, because little girls shouldn't be out late at night. But I never did it before, answered Rose seriously. Well, don't do it again. Pshaw, they weren't listening, or they might have heard, growled Frank. There's something in what you say, Frank, said Tom. Now, if we had a torpedo, or a pistol, or a cannon, or even a Gatling gun. Oh, cried Percy, I've got it. You don't mean to say you're running a Gatling gun along. Tom was interrupted by a piercing whistle, which rang out startlingly upon the air. It came from the whistle which Mr. Middleton, on a memorable occasion, had given to Percy, and which Percy had ever since jealously guarded. Eureka! cried Tom. That fetches it. Now quick. All together, little girl. Hip, hip, hurrah! We waited eagerly. The crack of a rifle came from the shore, followed by the full report of a shotgun, which, ere its echoes died away, was succeeded by a sky rocket shooting up into the sky and leaving a golden furrow in its track. Thank God, Percy exclaimed. That settles it, little girl, added Tom buoyantly. Your mama's happy now. She heard you yelling out, hip, hip, hurrah, and she thinks you're having a good time. But I'm not, said Rose ingenuously. I'm awful wet, and it's dark, and everything's wrong, and I wish I was home in bed. So do I, little girl. I don't approve of late hours, and I'm tired. Shh! Can't you hear the stroke of oars? They're coming. Hereupon, Gordon made his presence known. Ow! Oh, ouch! Help! Dry up, roared Tom, or we'll pitch you into the lake. You'll scare everybody with your howling. Take a lesson from your sister. Where am I? he gasped in a lower tone. This side, the middle of the lake, said Frank Burdock. Keep cool, I whispered. There's a boat coming and we'll be safe in two minutes. See the lights drawing near. They're coming straight towards us. And as I spoke, I freed Gordon from the mast. Oh, I hope they'll hurry up and save me, cried Gordon. Give him another cheer, cried Tom. We gave it with a will. An answering cheer came gratefully upon our ears. Boat ahoy, cried one of the rescuing party. Ahoy, answered Percy. Are you all safe? We are, returned Percy. Yes, but we're awful damp, added Tom. Are the Scarborough children there? Came another voice. 
Yes, Papa, screamed Rose. That's right, little girl. Always tell the truth, said Tom, parenthetically. I do, sir. Here, Gordon made his presence felt. Papa, Papa, he bellowed. I'm drowning. No, he isn't, cried Percy. And to my astonishment, he went on, addressing himself to Master Gordon. And it's my impression, sir, that you never will drown. Even Percy was disgusted. Oh, if we only had an ice chest, groaned Tom. What? Why, what for? sputtered Gordon. We'd keep you cool in it. About a minute later, we were all safe within a large boat, and Percy presently was in the arms of his mother, and, but the hugging and crying and kissing are too much for my pen, and this chapter has been in all reason long enough. End of chapter 15